Hey, Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 60 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is April 8th. 2009 and of course we've got a very exciting show for you today on the podcast we got Gerard Martinez talking some recruiting coming up later on the show we're also going to talk a lot of spring football with uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Whitekey but we're going to talk some spring football early too with our first segment guest as always coach Harvey Hyde coach how are you doing today thank you Brian it's great to be with you and uh, I'll tell you it is uh I started to get goosebumps and started to get ready for this coming football season. I was out this morning lifting weights and running and so on to go through my training, uh, spring training like uh, the Trojans and other universities are doing. Uh, well, we're going to check your 40 time, I think, Coach. Maybe we'll do that in the next show. What do you think? Yeah, you better check my, uh, <laughs> my uh, mile time at a walk. <laughs> Before you go to the 40 time, okay? Okay, we'll do that. You might, it might take just about as long. <laughs> All right, well, Southern California Tickets, just wanted to thank them for sponsoring the show. I mean, that really helps us make this thing go. We've been going a little over a year now, and like I said, it's episode number 60, so we've been going strong. Thanks to Southern California Tickets. SCTickets.com is their website. So if you need tickets for anything, check them out, or you can give them a call, 1-800-888-7287. I know you appreciate them too, Coach. I really do. I'll tell you, every time I need a ticket to any special event, whether it's a sporting event or just a concert or anything, I always refer them as well as use them myself. I would give them a call if you're out there looking for tickets, like for the Dodgers or the Angels, you know, or the Lakers with the playoffs coming or whatever. They can can take care of you, believe me. I think Mama Mia is coming to the Pantages too, Coach. So if you want to impress your wife or girlfriend, take them to that. (laughs) Another good show. Take them to that. Mama Mia. Uh, well, Last thing I got from them was for Elton John. Ah, yes, very nice. That would be a great show. I've never seen him live. Oh, he's great. He's great. All right. Well, we wanted, we got to talk some spring football last week. You were at the uh, the first practice, and you were actually at the scrimmage this past Sunday. So we talked a lot about the offense last time we had you on the show, and we have a lot of questions to get to from a lot of our readers, um, a lot of our listeners, I guess I should say. But let's talk some defense, Coach. What, who, are there any guys out there or just schemes or whatever that stood out for you when you were watching the defense? Right. You know, I'll tell you what. I was, uh, I've been uh, really pleased with the defense so far. You know, everyone's been talking about the losses, of course, the USC de- defense has had, and it really has. They're going to have two or three kids in the, in the first round. So, you know, that means they play pretty good defense, and they certainly are recognized for that this last year. But I don't think the cupboards were bare. I really think of some great players. and This might sound impossible, but I think they might be quicker on defense this year than they were last year. Now, they might not be as physical as far as at the linebacker spots and so on, but they're quicker, they're in the position, they don't overrun plays, uh, and I think these young players have really come along. Now, I'm, talk, I'm not saying... They're, they're at the Cushing State or Malaluga State or whatever it is as far as experience, but they have some great athletic ability. I'll tell you, I don't know how many people saw 
Malcolm Smith out there. I mean, I mean, wow. I'm going to tell you, he picked up a fumble and ran it down the sidelines for like 60 or 70 yards. And I really looked and said, who is that? Uh, I thought it was Ron Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really did. I, really, I thought it was Ronald Johnson going down the sideline the way he was running uh, as far as with the ball. I mean, he, he could be a receiver. He could play a lot of different positions. And, you know, he's 6'2", 225 pounds. He made the most, most athletic type of run for a linebacker I've seen in a long time. And, and that, I hope you can understand what I'm saying when I say athletic type of run as far as finishing the run with a, star, a straight arm on the quarterback and so on, cutting back across the field. Uh, he had the instincts of a great running back or receiver. Did you notice that too, Ryan? Yeah, certainly. I mean, he came. He had a really nice cutback that looked, definitely looked like it was some running back or receiver finishing off some fifty or sixty yard play. But it was, you know, it was a linebacker doing it. And yeah, I mean, it, you stiff armed the quarterback, but he still put him straight. I mean, Mitch Mustaine isn't a small guy. He put him right to the ground and worked his way in the end zone. It was a very impressive run back. It really was, and I'll tell you, I was standing uh, with uh, Chris Gallipo's parents, watching him closely, and I'll tell you what, I think he's going to be an outstanding middle linebacker. He knows where to position himself. He knows where to be. He's got great instincts on the football as far as filling off tackle or dropping to his coverage area or making the calls. You know, he's, he's, and he's got good speed. Remember, he was a running back, too, in high school. And and I, I think he's good size. He's got great instincts for a football player and, and a linebacker. And, you know, part of being a great linebacker is being able to recognize and get to the right place at the right time. And he does that. So I really like him as far as uh, replacing Malaluga at this time. I really think he's going to be an outstanding player. Because remember, he's only a sophomore. Yeah, no, you're right. And there's a lot of young guys on this team. And you look at the linebackers, there's just a ton of talent there. And, yes, you have to replace a tremendous group of backers from, you know, you might have three first-round draft picks, you know, maybe four on the first day. But there is talent. The cupboard is not bare. There's talent there. We have to wait and see how they perform. But just from what you've seen in spring so far, I mean, you have to be impressed. I really am. And have you watched uh, Nick Perry much this spring? I'll tell you. He is number eight. He is the same number that Ron Johnson is, the receiver. And I'll tell you, he can really fly around and is really doing an outstanding job, too, as a linebacker and defensive end. I'll tell you, he is 6'3", 240 pounds, and uh, I think he is going to be an outstanding player. I really like the way he moves to the football. And overall-wise, as a group of linebackers, there are athletes playing the linebacker position, which really helps you because you could make an all run. Gallipo has great instincts in the middle. And I'll tell you what, he is going to make Luther Brown a better football player because Luther's a senior. And if Luther plans on getting on the field, he's going to have to, to step up his play to play like Chris Gallipo, or, or, or Chris isn't going to come off the field. I think he's that type of caliber of player. I really like him. I liked him in high school. I liked him in the Army game where he's the most valuable player. I liked him in high school when he went both ways. And I think he has great instinct. I think I think they're looking at the linebacker position. We don't even need to talk about the, the secondary, because I right. think their secondary <laughs> is going to be the best secondary in America. Okay, let's don't low play it. I think their secondary completely will be the best secondary in America 
when you look at those players and Thomas. Did you see Thomas's interception? That was really out? sweet in the end zone. Huh? Yeah. In, the, in the end did zone, you, it was great. See, did you see how he ran and how athletic he was and, and how uh, uh, Mays comes in and plays? They didn't play Mays a lot on Saturday. I wouldn't either. I wouldn't take a chance as far as getting him hurt. But but I'll tell you that love their corners are playing great, the safeties are playing great, there's great competition. Uh so the secondary that's that that talks for itself. And the defensive line, I was really uh, great it was great to see Jarrell Casey in there getting a lot of reps. Uh Armand Armstead, I'll tell you what, that kid is gonna be an all American football player before he leaves USC. Malik Jackson has really gotten bigger. To me, he looks a lot bigger, number 97. They say he only weighs about 230, but to me, he looks a lot bigger than that. In the huddle, at least, he does. And uh, Wes Horton. So I, I really think this defense is going to mature into a great defense. Now, not at the beginning, but once they start to learn to play together and compensate for each other and know the feel of what's going on there, they are going to be an outstanding, and they may be, now I'm saying may, be a quicker type of defense than last year's defense that was so physical. Remember, they were physical and quick. Now I'm talking about just quickness uh, as far as on a defense, too. All right, Coach. Yeah, I agree with you. And if you look at the second line of linebackers, if you put Luther Brown and Jordan Campbell and Una Cavienga in there, I mean, man, that's it looks like a group that could be – they could be starters as well. And Armand I'm, Armand Armstead, you mentioned, 290 pounds. Pete Carroll hasn't had a guy out there on the outside before. He does he does like that, the unique kind of physical size and speed that he brings to the position. So it's going to be really interesting to watch. And if you had to grade out, you know, that you have a lot of offensive starters coming back, not as many defensive starters, but I think the defense is getting the better of the offense so far. And, and, I, and I'll tell you right now, Emerson Griffin, we didn't even mention him. Can you believe that? <laughs> we, we never even mentioned him. You know, when he gets motivated – and he wants to get after it, he can be as great as anyone in the country. So he needs to learn to play consistent, get after it, and put him in with that mix. And now you've got yourself a defensive front. I really believe that, and I think that uh, that the uh, SC uh, team is so – yeah, you mentioned the defense is ahead of, an, of the offense, but you got to remember this, guys, and, and this is for our listeners too. The defense is always ahead of the offense in the spring, always. In fact, for a while when I was a head coach, we used to have to, you know, change things up a little bit where the offense would have success. When one goes against ones, I tell you, the defense is always going to win because you can line up in the wrong place, do the wrong thing, make a tackle, and you you accomplished it. If you do that on (laughs) offense, you're going to get thrown for a loss and there's going to be a sack. So uh, it, it takes longer with the offensive side of the football, and Later on, when the offense, he'll, he'll let the offense go and have some success. The ones that go against the threes and so on. And, uh, and then the offense will get some raves and so on. But you've got to build the confidence. You can't just let the defense line up there and, and beat on you all the time. But I'll tell you what it does to you. It teaches you to go against great players. And it teaches you to raise your intensity level and get mad at yourself and, get learned, and learn how to block great players. If you don't block great players, how do you get? How do you know how to block them when the game comes? So if you learn how to block great players, then you get better yourself. Even though you make a mistake, you have that opportunity of going against great players, and that's why Pete Carroll believes in that one-on-one because both people get better. 
All right, Coach. Well, hey, we got to get to some of these questions. We've got a lot of user questions this week. Do you mind answering a few? No, heck no. That's what we did. We encouraged people to do that any time. And, you know, I want to thank all those people again that come up and talk to us when we're out there at, at spring practice. It's really rewarding for you guys to come up and ask questions and say you enjoy this show and so on because we enjoy doing it with you. Definitely, or coach. for you or whatever. Yeah, Coach. And we've had a whole bunch of people <clears throat> excuse me, coming up recently. One of the guys I got to meet at practice named David kind of had a long question. He said, I want to email it to you and uh, just kind of think it out a little bit. So he, he wrote it to me. I was, I'll try to paraphrase, paraphrase this a little bit here. Um, he wanted to know that, you know, practices are so competitive and, you know, no position is safe because competition makes everyone play harder. And, that, you know, the stakes are high at practice because of that. That's Pete Carroll's philosophy. But he also mentioned back in the day, George Foreman fought Muhammad Ali and Zaire in 1974. And before the fight, all the sports writers were really pessimistic because of about Ali's chances of winning. The reason was that during his sparring sessions, he looked terrible because he was always working on his weaknesses and he never showed his best stuff. So his question is, I don't know if you see where this is going, but do you think too much competition could hamper the development of a player who is only concerned with his performance rather than working on his weaknesses to be the best player he can be? Does that kind of make sense? Well, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. You're saying that if a player doesn't experience some success, does he lose confidence in his abilities when you're constantly working on the things you don't do as well? And I would think, yes, that could happen if somebody's completely always getting uh, ripped in films or ripped on the field or missing blocks and everybody recognizes it uh, and so on. But, you know, you've got to look at it this way. If you don't get better at your weaknesses, then you're not a complete football player. So you've got to work on the areas that you really need to improve with. But you've got to also allow that player to have success so that player doesn't lose his confidence that he is a great football player. And the team doesn't lose confidence in that football player. So, you know, yes, I think that if, if you put a player or anyone in a negative situation too often and that person doesn't experience success, yes, it could dampen him as far as his attitude and confidence in himself and abilities. So you've got to know just that's what coaching is. That's what teaching is. You've got to know just how much negative things that a person can take, and then you've got to get off of it. You've got to be positive. You've got to let him experience some, some positive things, and, and along the way, you bring up the negative side of his abilities. So, Coach, I mean, when they're out there, they're working hard, and if they're fighting for a spot, they want to try to perform the best that they can. But if they're performing that, you know, as best as they can, are they necessarily working on their weaknesses? I, I think that's what – I mean, it sounds like you're saying they need some kind of balance there where, you, yes, you need to have uh, – you need to stumble along the way and work on the things you don't do as well but still be able to have that success and show the, you know, show the coaches because they're looking at the films. If, they're, if they see you, you know, constantly screwing up in practice, then you, you, know, you have a chance to lose that spot that you have right now or drop down the depth chart. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I certainly do, and I'll tell you uh... – and, and that's the way, you, you know, the team is made actually in the spring, guys. Uh, I mean, let's face it, in the fall, yes, the first week of fall practice, you get out there and everything's wide open again and so on. But you got to start to get to units. you got to start to get to, you know, routines and rotations and game planning and all of that. So, yeah, in the spring is where 
Young players are really looked at. Players have got to get better. Players have got to be evaluated on their potential and what they can do well. And can they play this position? And, you know, a lot of times in the spring you find out that a guy that you thought would be a great offensive player or an offensive tackle just isn't, doesn't have the abilities to play that. And maybe you move him to defense or you take a defensive lineman and you move him to offense. You see that happening all the time. Could you see Taylor Mays as far as being possibly a tight end? Uh, he'd run down the middle of the field in a seam route, and I'd like to see who's going to cover him at 4-3-5 with his side. So, you know, these type of athletes can play a lot of different positions. And, yeah, I agree with you. I think you have to be able to have success in order to move up on the depth chart. And today, with competition like it is, especially at USC, you really can't have any negative parts of your game. If you have a negative part of your game, you're not going to play because you've got to be able to do it all right today when you play for a national championship. You can't just be a one-half one, one half of a football player if you're playing. Today, everything is so skilled and so techniqued and, and everything is so scientific that you've got to be able to do it all. And if you don't do it all, then you're not going to be a part of the team. And, you know, I apologize again for my dog. <laughs> just got in from out of town. And I know a lot of our listeners uh, like me to mention that my dog's name is Cece, and she likes a lot of attention. And I apologize to all of you out there if you don't have a dog or don't like dogs being on the air, but my dog wants to get in its two cents worth, okay? Oh, yeah. No, no, no problem. We had, I sorry, had couple, Ryan. No, I had sorry, couple, and sorry to all of our listeners, okay? I, I had a couple of emails that mentioned Cece by name, so it's, <laughs> so it's kind of funny. Good. Guess what? She, she's laying on her SE blanket. Okay, see? She's a big Trojan yep. fan. For the, the, oh, big Trojan the Listeners fan. need to know that, yeah. Uh, well, here's a nobody question. Watches, nobody watches more football, SE football, than Cece. <laughs> okay, here's a question from our good friend Guy. He wanted to know, uh, this is basically about the uh, the stories that came out this week with um, the, the offensive play calling and the kind of um, the way they call things. They're, they're trying to do it a lot more simpler on offense than they were doing it before. But he wanted to know why can uh, overly complex play calling get established? And is it a common thing for a new offensive coordinator to come into a system and do what he can to streamline the play, the play calling? Well, you know, it's still the same offense. If you watch it out there, it's Pete Carroll's offense. And what he's done is come in, obviously, and watch hours of tape and taken what he's seen from the films and tapes of all the games and met with Coach Carroll and said, Coach, if we can make this simpler and there's one less word to something, then uh, do you see any problem with it? And Coach Carroll probably said, well, what do you mean? What are you talking about? And he probably went through a lot of terms and things and saying we really don't need to say this if we call this play. This word doesn't need to be said with this certain series or play or so on. And Bobby defined it a little bit more. Bobby asked Coach, why do you do this or when do you do this or have you ever thought about doing it this way or this is the way we did it at Denver and we had a lot of success with it and so on. And the things that Coach Carroll liked, he said, go ahead with. The things that Coach Carroll didn't like and he probably said, you know, uh, I think you've got a lot of merit in what you're saying there, but I don't want to change that. I've found that I like it this way. So I really feel as, as coming in, as Jeremy Bates has done, and John Morton, too, who's the offensive coordinator, actually, I think they've all got together, and they've sort of reviewed the offense that has been there and tried to improve on it. Every year you try to improve on your offense and defense and special teams as far as going through and breaking down everything, formation tendencies, 
down distance tendencies. Uh, what was what series of of work better for us? Play action pass work what better for us? What do we add to our offense? Which I hope this year they add the draw series to their offense. I don't know. I haven't seen it yet. Maybe they haven't put it in. But someday I'd like to ask Coach Carroll uh, if maybe maybe he doesn't just like the draw series because they don't run a lot of draw series. I saw the toss run last Sunday one time to the left, and and uh, I think that that stretches the defense more. I like to see the outside uh, of the offense be stretched a little bit more. And and these are the things I look at when I go to practice. I look to see of what they did last year, what I talked about last year when you. When I did the pregame show or the Trojan Brunch show on Sunday mornings and so on, on how I evaluated the playing of the calls. And, and, you know, like that one call, and I'm not afraid to be positive or negative. That's just Harvey Hyde. But when we were in the, at the scrimmage this past Sunday, it was first down on the two-yard line. First down on the two-yard line, and that's when Mustaine threw that interception to Thomas, and he went right ran down the sideline for 50 yards. I think it was Mustaine, it was wasn't it? It was Barkley, actually. Barkley, okay, yeah. Barkley. I almost nailed Mustaine on that one. I apologize, <laughs> Mitch. But, but I, in my mind, I look at that and I say, why? Why, when the field is closed down, are you throwing the ball down there while this is a chance to make your offensive line tough? This is a chance to get him in the huddle. And they said, there's two yards. We're not going to throw the football. We're going to run it four straight downs. And if we can't get in there on four straight downs, I'm going to get me a whole new offensive line. And challenge him against a great defense. But you hear Ken Norton, you hear uh, Franklin over there talking about, they'll never get in, they'll never get in. They didn't even make the first down. They gave him the first down anyway just to see if they could get in. Well, it's time you challenge that offensive line and say, hey, I'm going to tell you, we're not going to do it the easy way. Because in a game situation, you're going to have short yardage plays that you've got to believe you can make. And you've got to believe that you can run them against anybody. And in that situation, a positive turned to a negative for the offense. They could have smash-mouthed that ball in there, ran a power, run a trap, run something in there, run a toss, and say, we're going to get it in there. You guys are going to run all night. You're going to run all night. You don't have to worry about coming to Thursday's practice or Tuesday, but you're going to still be here. So, and, and I thought that, that that's what I see in those things. So when I go to practice, I look at different things, okay, Then maybe – you might look at or other people look at. I look and see what the philosophy is of the play calling. Tube was a lot of it script, and that means that the play that they know the defense and they know the offense, so they know where to film it, and they know what to watch, and so on. But there's a time and place you got to teach toughness, not just on defense, but on offense. All right, Coach. I think I answered that question. That was pretty good. And uh, Coach Carroll actually was really upset with that play, and he. His explanation was they wanted to take a little shot and, and let Barkley give a chance to make a play, and he, it sounded like he would take it back if he could have. So I think they wanted to do what, what you're suggesting and uh, kind of pound it in. But um, Terry and Day is a good friend of the show. He's emailed us a bunch of questions, and I can answer a little bit of this, and maybe you can take the rest, Coach. But he wanted to know about the, the – he called it 7-on-9, or is it 9-on-7 was mentioned in practice. And does this facilitate practicing, against, you know, pr- practicing the running game, and is it used often – in the past at USC and which positions are not on the field. And it's basically USC calls it team run or nine on seven or whatever. And it's usually it's the, the offensive line tight end and, you know, fullback running back. And then they'll have like walk on wide receiver. So it's basically the middle of the offense, except for the wideouts. 
and 90% of the times the plays they run are running plays. So they'll, they'll do a play action pass every once in a while, but that's essentially what they do it. They call it team run and it's normal portion of the practice where it's just about the full team, except they don't have the starting, they don't have the starting corners or wide receivers because they're down there doing one-on-one drills while this is going on. But it's just really to focus on the middle of the offense and defense and, and play the run game. But coach, I'm sure you've run drills like that before in the past. Do you have some other stuff to add? Right. Well, well, I don't know what the question was. The question is, yeah, what that is, it's the it's your run drill for the offense and the defense. You know, it's a run most of the time. You just try to keep a once in a while a play-action pass in there just to keep them honest. But it's your inside-outside drill, we used to call it. You do your inside drills where you run your inside plays, and then you do the same thing with your outside plays. Uh, later on, uh, I would assume... When they work their outside game, then then you bring your corners down and you have your receivers out there blocking. So the receiver learns the block and the defensive back learns to get off the off of the block and make a tackle. So we used to call it inside outside when we did that. What we do is work on all of our inside plays, traps, powers, whatever it might be in there, and then we do the same thing maybe the next day in practice with the outside. But we did that every day in the spring, inside, outside, inside, outside. Then we did what you call short yardage defense so and offense. So you get down there, and the defense would work on the goal line alignment, and you would work on your offensive blocking techniques uh, for short yardage uh, offense. So, yeah, it's very important that you do this. It teaches the, the techniques. You tape it all. You, you're able to, to uh, you know, go in and show it all on videos and so on. Uh, I didn't see on Sunday much one-on-one, if you noticed that. There wasn't much of one-on-one man blocking or one-on-one pass blocking. It was shortened. The practice was shortened, obviously, but they scrimmaged. And they scrimmaged for a long period of time. So a lot of the drills, if you were there on Sunday, a lot of the drills you normally see in a practice wasn't there because they spent time on their inside running game, they did one-on-one passes, you said. They did seven-on-seven in passing game. So, and then they went through their scrimmage. So, you know, normally when you scrimmage, you really don't have as much time to work on techniques. All right, Coach, that's cool. And then we have, uh, I think we have time for one more question. It's from Assad and Torrance. And there was an article that came out in Yahoo Sports uh, talking about Pete Carroll kind of changing his philosophy a little bit as far as recruiting goes. You know, last year, a few of the verbal commitments kind of decommitted at the end. And uh, there are some prospects that USC lost out on. The article was basically quoting um, a, a Daily News article that said that Pete Carroll will be changing it up a little bit and maybe keeping some of those commits that are early commits silent so they don't have a bullseye on their back and getting targeted by some of the other schools. And Assad wanted to know if, if you agree with that, you know, if that's really what's happening, if you agree with that re- recruiting strategy. Well, I don't know. You know, um, uh, you know, he lost a few players, but that's natural. I used to tell players, too, when I was coaching, I'd say, you know, if you don't want to play with us, that's fine. Go ahead and go play somewhere else. And remember, uh, we'll line up and beat your butt, okay? <laughs> but I always was nice about saying it because I thought that maybe they always might want to transfer back. Because, you know, a lot of kids love competition, and a lot of kids want to come where all the competition is. And a lot of kids really get talked out of going to competition. They, you're going to start for us. Why go there and be a backup? Why would you want to go to SC and maybe never play? So, you know, kids are different, and, and they get excited, and they early commit to a school, 
And then all of a sudden they see, oh, my gosh, this, this back is coming, too. And, oh, my gosh, he committed, too. That another running back. Oh, my gosh, there's four running backs. And then they start doubting, possibly, their opportunity of playing. And then also there's coaches that are still recruiting him. You know, it used to be, uh, you know, you sign a letter of intent. Well, not used to be. Well, normally you, when somebody committed, you sort of backed off a little bit. But you never quit. You wanted to see if he wavered at all. And when you talk to a kid and he says, when you call a kid up and you recruit him, and I say, hi, this is Harvey Hyde calling. How are you doing, John? I understand you committed to USC. Congratulations. And he says, yeah, I did, Coach, but I really did like your school. Really? <laughs> really? You really did like my school. You know, well, there's still that opportunity. We know you committed at USC. But if you'd still like to come up and look at our school here at Cal or UNLV, we'd love to have you and your parents come on up, even making an official visit or unofficial visit. Uh, I'll, I'll honor your commitment to USC and give you an opportunity to come up and see our campus and so on, and it'd be great. And the kid might say, hey, you know, that sounds pretty good. Well, maybe not. But if a kid, when I say, congratulations, John, you're, you're committed to USC, and, and uh, we're really happy for you. Yeah, Coach, I want you to know I've always wanted to go to USC. I'm excited. I'm glad it's all over with. I really don't want to talk to anybody else. You're a good guy. I really recommend I'll recommend people to come to your school because you really were honest and upfront with me on all the recruiting. Congratulations to you, Coach, and we'll see you in September. I said, huh, that kid's pretty solid on his commitment. Sure. So, so if you get a little bit of a whimpering in there that, you know, I committed, but you don't quit recruiting that kid. But you do it a different way. And who knows what might happen when that early commit that three or four other players committed his position, and then he really wants to look at your school. So, you know, you never know what's going to happen, so you you got to learn to really be a great politician. Cool. All right, Coach. Well, we appreciate the answers. Always candid. And, uh, again, if anyone has questions, drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com. You can send us audio files, uh, WAV files, or MP3 files to that address. Or if you have Skype, log on to Skype and leave us a little voicemail. Ryan.Abraham is the Skype address where you can send those messages to, and we'll play them on the air and let, let our uh, guests answer the questions. But, Coach, thanks very much for your time, and it's always great hearing what you have to say. Well, thank you very much, Ryan. And for all of you out there, happy Easter to all of you or – Passover or whatever it might be. And, and I'll tell you, remember the Easter Bunny's coming on Sunday. So be good and be careful. <laughs> All right. I can't wait to have some of those Easter candy. Coach, thanks again, everybody else. We've got a 30-second break. We'll be back with Dan Wyke talking more spring football. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. In this segment, we're going to be talking all about USC spring football. So, of course, we're joined by USCfootball.com beat writer Dan Wyke. What's going on, Dan? How you doing, Ryan? 
Doing pretty good, pretty good. We got a lot to talk about. Uh, your latest practice report talked about special teams. We wanted to get into that. The uh, hot board went up. The the top ten buzz players of the spring, and of course, the quarterback situation is still going on. And I wanted to let people know you can send in questions for us. Podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. We would like to try and get some audio questions on the podcast. So if you can record it on your computer, a dot wave or dot mp3 file. Send it to us. We can play it, and then you know our callers can listen to it, and we'll answer your questions on the air. We also can do it via Skype. So if you ever use Skype.com, S-K-Y-P-E.com, you can call their Skype users for free, and you can leave us a voicemail. So we're going to take our first Skype voicemail question. Is that okay with you, Dan? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Here we go. The first question. All right, Dan, in full disclosure, Natalie in Alexandria, Virginia is actually my sister, but we both use Skype because I talk with her uh, her little niece on Skype, and uh, we can do video calls and stuff. I wanted to test it out because we've had some people emailing us where they had problems leaving a voicemail, so it can't be done. But, Dan, just once you want to know a question, what's going on with the quarterback situation? Oh, it's your sister? Yeah. I was, I was like, ooh, it's a little lady. <laughs> that's kind of what was, was my initial response to that. Um, yeah, the quarterback situation, That's uh, obviously that's the, the, the kind of primo question um, with spring football right now. You know, they're still in the kind of information gathering process where they're, they're trying to get equal looks at everybody. Um, I thought, you know, um, that Tuesday's practice was a really kind of interesting look at it because what they did was they gave Matt Barkley the last 10 reps of practice to kind of get him an extended look to kind of see him in more rhythm, I guess. And, and they're do, they're trying to do stuff like that. They're trying to give guys equal um, equal reps in equal situations as much as they can. So they want to see Corp with the ones. They want to see Corp with the twos. They want to see Corp with the threes against, you know, that, that defense as well. Um, Unfortunately, there's no real clear leader at this point. I mean, I would guess it would be Corp. Um, that's just kind of my feeling that if they had to play tomorrow, Corp would be their starting quarterback. I, no one has really jumped out, though, and I, that might be a little disappointing um, that no one has really kind of grabbed hold of this and said, you know, this is my job. I'm going to take it and someone take it from me. Um, I haven't really seen anything like that. The, um, kind of interesting part though right now is I think we're getting a sense sort of of what they want from the quarterback and it's pretty clear that they want a game manager Um, that's the the big thing they don't want mistakes Um, they want someone who can kind of facilitate the offense to the other guys and 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 not be as much of a playmaker as just kind of a guy who you know just doesn't screw things up Um, obviously they don't want to you know they, they, there's some skill and they, they do want to throw the ball down the field and they do want to do stuff like that. But it's the most important thing right now is they want a guy who um, is, is just confident in the offense, who knows what's going on and who's going to get the ball to the right people at the right time. That's some good points, Dan. And uh, you know, I, you mentioned that maybe this is a good segue into the next part, but you, you put up the six truths of uh, what you thought felt was going on in the whole um, you know, quarterback race here. And that was your first one that Carol wants a game manager, your first truth, um, you know, some guy that can manage the game. And, uh, you know, it does seem like Aaron Corp is like that. He's, he's kind of the guy. I mean, they're, they're trying to split the reps up. Like you said, Garrett Green 
Um, looks like he's dropped off. You know, Carroll said he's just going to be the fourth guy. So I think we're actually going to drop him out of our quarterback rankings if he's just delegated to fourth string and is going to mostly play. He played a lot of receiver yesterday, actually. So mm-hmm. you know, we'll probably drop him out of our quarterback race. He can make it a three-man race at this point. And, you know, looking at the numbers, you know, we haven't put up our latest numbers from the uh, practice number six. But, you know, from just looking at the numbers through five, I mean, it's – the, the reps are kind of split evenly between Court Mustaine and Barkley, and they've kind of jumped. They've all had the lead at one point. Um, they've kind of bounced back and forth. As we get more data, obviously, the numbers will be a little more refined. But to me, it just does. It seems the same thing. Like, you know, Mitch Mustaine will have a good day, then a bad day. Same thing with Aaron Corp. And Matt Barkley will try to make big plays, and some days he'll make them, some days he won't. It seems, you know, it just seems like no one's jumped out, which is. For me, a little disappointing because I wanted this to be a really exciting quarterback race, and so far it's just been kind of like uh, it's just kind of there. Yeah, it's um, you know, I think those guys are still getting kind of kind of settled into all of this. Um, part of it, I'm sure, is that they're still installing offense. You know what I mean? They're still it's new terminology and stuff like that. It's you know a simpler kind of verbiage. That's like the buzzword that that's been thrown around at practice that they've kind of they've kind of tried to, to trim the fat off of what they were doing offensively. And I, maybe that's part of it. Maybe that's why these guys haven't 100% settled in. Maybe part of it is that, you know, the offensive line hasn't been as good as they need to be, and, and, and that's been part of it. Um, you know, but I, I do think you brought up something interesting is that, you know, it has been kind of like everybody's kind of had their day. Um, and, uh, <clears throat> you know, there are days, I mean, which I think is interesting because when guys, you know, on the message boards or whatever, or, or just USC fans in general can go to practice, and they'll go maybe one day out of six, and they'll be like, oh, my God, Mitch Bussane is the guy, <laughs> you know, because they went the one day that Mitch Bussane was the guy. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and, and they, then, you know, they don't see, you know, the ducks that he's thrown. They don't see some of, some of the others, you know, some of the kind of questionable questionable balls that he's that, he, that he's released. and and stuff like that, you know, or they'll go and they'll see Corp or they'll read the practice sports and they'll see, oh, my God, Corp completed, you know, eight straight passes. Yeah, that's great, but all eight passes were, you know, checkdowns and seven-on-sevens, you know, or something like that. And and that's like kind of like the – I think that's the tricky part of trying to figure this all out is trying to sift through all of that stuff and try to, you know, say, okay, well, he did that. How is that going to translate to games? How is that going to translate to the defensive work? You know, will that be open and, and all, all that stuff? So, I, I mean, it's it's not an exact science. I do think gut is part of it. Like, I think, you know, who, you know, Jeremy Bates and P. Carroll think is going to be the guy. I, like, deep in their, just their, in their gut, I think, is going to make a difference here. Um, and I think that they won't know that probably for at least another five practices. Yeah, it's a good point. I, I think if you watched Sunday scrimmage, you saw when they were the defense was doing a lot of blitzing drills. It really gave the offense fits. But I mean, it, obviously, it was harder to face that first string defense than the second string. But guys like Corp and Mustaine, I think they each were sacked like four times. And Barkley, you know, I thought he did a really nice job on Sunday, get at least getting away from the rush. I mean, he made some mistakes. He threw that pick and stuff like that. But then if you watch practice on Tuesday, Barkley was sacked four times, you know, and the other guys really weren't, maybe once each or something like that. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, a, it's a completely different – it's almost like a different day. Just every day is just a whole different scenario. And, I mean, I, I think that's why it's neat to keep these numbers that we're keeping with the quarterback ratings because you can see the trends kind of start to forming. You know, we've only been doing it for six practices, but once we start getting, you know, maybe about halfway through, I think you'll start seeing the numbers kind of – 
even out a little bit. And it should be interesting to see how it ends up. If if the numbers end up the same way that, you know, whatever Jeremy Bates and Pete Carroll decide on the, the order of the quarterbacks coming out of spring. Yeah, I mean, I've you know, I've kind of had some time to think about the the QBR since we uh, since we first talked about it and I mean, I, there is a, a kind of an inherent built-in advantage to some of what Barkley does because he goes down the field more. I do think that his numbers sometimes are going to be elevated when he connects. Obviously, I mean, he he does take more chances and obviously, you know, he he's going to probably you know, take more risks and he might get picked off a little bit more, but you know, he does go down the field and he's also going to get more snaps than everybody else. So that's been established that, you know, just in the way that Pete Carroll does things in general, when you're new, you're going to get a bigger look than everybody else the first time. I mean, that's just kind of what they want to do. They kind of know more what Mitch Mustaine and Aaron Corp can do than they really know what Matt Barkley can do. So, I mean, I, I do think Barkley's his rating is always going to be a little bit higher. Um, the, the obvious, the, um, the the real question though is is can he just make the safe play and can he be um, make make the best possible decisions always and and he hasn't really shown that yet. No, that's a good point. And I think uh, your second truth you talked about um, Aaron Corp's mobility. Uh, Zach actually pointed out something interesting that he Corp actually had the most sacks and fumbles combined than the other quarterbacks combined uh, with his mobility. But I, I don't think that's it's not necessarily the escapability. You know, I think a lot of those times, you know, it, it was almost the most of those sacks came in a practice after Corp had a really good day on the ground. And I think, you know, yeah. we, we talk about this. I think the coaches might have said, all right, you know, we know you can do that. Let's, you know, stay in the pocket and try to make a play sometimes and, uh, you know, with your arm. And I, I think that's kind of where a lot of those sacks end up coming from. But, you know, you, I really believe, I, I, I agree with you on Corp's mobility. Like, if you have a gut feeling, it's going with Corp just because I think they feel, you know, your first truth, the game manager, but also the fact that he can take off and run. I do think Pete Carroll likes that. Well, it, it also, I mean, it limits mistakes. I mean, if, you know, instead of if it's third and six and, you know, no one's open, I mean, he's a guy who can try to pick that up with his feet. And, and you know, he's not going to necessarily force a ball. Ideally, I mean, that's just the, the, the kind of the thought because he's got that in his repertoire that he can kind of take off and, and run, you know, and, um, I, I do think, I, you know, I'm glad that Zach pointed out how wrong I was statistically. Um, I just wanted to point that out. That, uh, <laughs> I was, I was, sweet, I was sweet of him. Um, you know, I mean, the guy, the guy doesn't, you know, I call him or, and ask him for the numbers, you know, before I read it, and you, you know, you, you can't find him. You know, probably. <laughs> Zach's actually out of town right now. Zach's in uh, yeah, Austin, Texas, for for his his real job. But uh, he's probably like sandals. He's probably at sandals, Jamaica, and he's just not telling us. <laughs> But he will be having the numbers, the quarterback numbers coming out today before the uh, before Thursday's practice. So we will have uh, practice number six. Um, yeah, but but no, you know, I do think though that you're right. I mean, I think that you know, there's also maybe a feeling that he that Corp just doesn't want to be a runner either, and that the coaches, like you said, they they might have said, you know, okay, we know you can do this. Let's let's see you throw the ball. You know, and then you've also seen kind of interesting, and since Corp's really big day running the ball. That you've seen Barkley and Mustaine take off a little bit and try to do some stuff scrambling as well. So yeah, we did see that, and they actually avoided a couple of sacks on uh, Tuesday's practice. So that was, I, mean, I guess that was a positive sign. They're trying to, I guess, learn <laughs> learn a little bit from Aaron Corp. And if they say, well, if Pete Carroll likes that, I think you know both those guys are saying I can do that too. Um, one do uh, we had a question for Coach Hyde in the last segment about uh, special teams, and you wrote your practice report focusing from Tuesday's practice on special teams. And this was something that a lot of USC fans have harped on over the years. I think 
when I've had commentary on it, I've mentioned the same kind of thing, that this team had way too much talent to be mediocre on special teams, not in the kicking game, more in the coverage returns, things like that. Kickers, you know, whatever you want to, you can talk about that. But this having a dedicated special teams coach, I thought was, is one of the key off season acquisitions, I guess you could say of the squad. And, and if you go to the beginning of practice, like you mentioned in your practice report, there's a whole host of new drills I've never seen before. And no one at USC that I've talked to has seen around. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to get your comments on that. What, what coach Brian Schneider is bringing to the special teams group. Yeah, it's, it, it's really fun to watch. Um, and I don't think they're going to be mediocre on special teams. I think they're going to be very good on special teams. Um, but, uh, you know, kind of what he's brought in was something that he picked up in the NFL, um, uh, kind of a philosophy he learned when doing uh, the OTAs, which are like, you know, the um, the kind of pseudo practices that NFL teams can have during the offseason. You know, he brought, um, he brought this, uh, this kind of philosophy in where, you know, instead of, instead of just doing live punt reps, which is essentially what USC did all during the season last year was they wanted to work on stuff with gunners and stuff like that. They punter back there, why not kick the ball? And then they ran down and tried to cover a punt. You know, I mean, it seemed like a pretty simple thing. Well, you know, his, his kind of theory on that is, okay, well, if you're doing that, that means you're asking your gunners to run 50, you know, 45, 50 yards each time at maximum effort. And you're not really, I mean, you're going to be looking around and seeing what everybody else is doing too. It's going to, it's kind of, it's kind of cluttered. Well, what he's done is he's kind of specialized that. And he said, okay, we're going to work now on just the first 10 yards. Okay. Of getting off a block right away and kind of the first move you need to make to, to, to create space for yourself. So they'll do those drills. They'll work on the first 10 yards, you know, and they'll run everybody through and they'll probably do eight or nine reps of it, you know, instead of just those two, maybe, you know, maybe two maximum effort reps, they would actually get a normal practice. And then what they'll do is they'll do the last 10 yards, which is, you know, again, where they're going to hit the guys that are downfield kind of jamming, you know, if it's kickoff or whatever. And it's about, again, when you shake off that block, hitting that first block and then kind of reacting to which way the, the returner goes and stuff like that. And it's, it's really fun to watch. I mean, and you can tell that the guys are kind of energized about it. I had a chance to talk to the aforementioned Garrett Green about it. He's kind of a special teams junkie, uh, you know, and the guy really enjoys it. And he said, it's just wonderful. I mean, to have a coach that is a hundred percent committed to special teams, instead of having, you know, it's split up with, you know, eight or nine, you know, it's, it felt like it was every assistant on the staff had a little, a little hand in it before. Now it's just one guy. You know, and it's, it, it, you know, he's kind of, there aren't as many um, spoons in the pot, I guess. I think I've said that before in the podcast. Wow, that, second that, spoons that, in the that pot. Expression. But, but <laughs> it's great to, glad to trot that one back out there. Um, but no, yeah, it's just more, it's more streamlined and it, it just seems more efficient. It seems more kind of, I don't know, smart. <laughs> the word I would probably use. It just seems like a smart way to do things. And it, I don't know if they're going to do it like this, you know, once it starts or not, you know, because they're, they're really doing a lot of technique and technical stuff now, but it's the best way to build a base. I think it, it, it makes it a lot more fun for the players too. And it, I think if you can create a competitive special teams environment, I think that's going to help. And you saw, I mean, one of the most amazing drills I've seen him do. Um, and we, you know, Damian Williams talked about this in his video interview that we put up on the site on uscfootball.com the other day. I mean, it was really fun. They have the jugs machine doing kickoffs, and so they would, Coach Schneider would have each kickoff return guy hold a ball in his hand. As the kickoff came to him, that person, the player would have to throw the ball up that he has in his hand and then catch the kickoff and then catch the ball that he threw up. 
And everyone was having a really hard time with it. And they would count how many times you could do it. Damon Williams got up to three, three times he could do it. It was like he was juggling because the, the kickoff would come right after you caught this one. There's another kickoff on the air. So you had to catch the second ball, throw it down, and then look for the kickoff that's coming, run to where it was, throw the ball up, catch the kickoff again, catch the ball, throw one of them down, do the same thing. And Damian Williams got up to three times in the beginning of practice, and then he did it up to five, which apparently was some kind of record or whatever, at the end of practice. And everyone else, I, someone might have got up to two, maybe three, but it was – no one looked as smooth at doing that drill as Damian Williams, but it got the guys to be competitive. Uh, they really focused on, you know, trying to catch that ball. I think just bringing that different kind of attitude and just different drills will probably help them quite a bit. Yeah, no, and, and you know, there's another thing too about Brian. He's pointed out is that he seems just like a, a like a super cool laid back guy, like not like in in a bad way or anything like that, like where he's not going to yell at people. I'm sure he does. But, like, he just seems like a guy who, who really, like, knows how to relate to players. And, um, you, you know, that's always a concern, I would think, when you when you bring a guy from the NFL in is, you know, okay, well, it's one thing talking to, you know, grown men about this, but can you talk, can you talk to 18, 19, 20-year-old kids about it? And, and he really, you know, for the amount of time that he gets with the team, because, he, you know, Pete Carroll said yesterday, he gets more meeting time with the team than any other coach, you know? He talks to more players for a longer time than anybody else, and you know it's uh, that's crucial that they that they like him, and it's they like him. There's I mean there's no way to I don't know if they like him, but they like him. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, we don't have too much time, so I wanted to get to talk about the hot list real quick. So we have our yeah, let's do that Spring Ball Central hot list. Um, Gerard uh, put this together. It's a really nice looking feature up on uscfootball.com. It's kind of like the top ten buzz players and i think across the board i don't know if everyone had him number one but we all picked at least up there somewhere was uh linebacker malcolm smith i had him as number two on my original list but yeah he's been huge um just making plays every day um i've said it before i'll say it again i think he's gonna be a star honestly i, I like i look at him as, as the guy who probably has the best chance to be a huge breakout guy on this defense Certainly, and I think if you look at if you just go to practice and you've never seen it before, and you had to say who's a returning starter, you would say, oh yeah, that guy's definitely a returning starter. And obviously, you know, he isn't. He's not. You know, Michael Morgan's the only guy on the linebacking core with a start. But you know, between him, you know, people are going to talk about the drop off. But Michael Morgan, I'm sorry, I said Michael Moore. Michael Morgan, um, you know, he's played a lot last year, and and Malcolm Smith got a lot of playing time. Looks like a starter. Uh, Chris Gallipo, I think those those top three guys, I think the USC linebacker is going to be okay with those kind of guys there. Like, they're not returning starters, but for all intents and purposes, you could say they are. Yeah, they're just good. Um, and, <laughs> and I think right now Malcolm Smith is playing the best. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, and uh, number two we had up there, Everson Griffin. I didn't have him as high on my list because he did miss that first day of practice. But, you know, like like everyone else said, he's come on really strong after missing that first day. Yeah, the um, I think the coolest thing that I've heard so far so far about this is sort of like there's like a like a nice little bosom buddies relationship between him and Jethro Franklin, where Jethro has really kind of gotten to Everson Griffin apparently, and I mean Everson's playing so hard at practice, he's playing so intense, and he's like, you know, he's obviously one of the best athletes on the defense, and they they've told him that, and they're like, okay, you know what, it's inexcusable that you're not making plays every day, and so how does he make plays every day? That's, That's a pretty simple way to do it. No, it's simple. It, it, I mean, it really is. I mean, you look at a guy who's that talented, and you're like, well, like, you know, wh where the hell is he? 
on yeah. defense. You know, like there are days where you just don't see him. And literally the the only day so far uh, of spring practice where I haven't been impressed with something he's done was the first day when he wasn't there. Yeah, and I think he is emerging into that leadership kind of role. Um, so we'll see a little bit more from him. It looks like the, the other players on the defensive line maybe were a little skeptical over the winter workouts if, if Griffin can be a leader, but I think they're kind of buying into it now. But number three, we got – He's got to be consistent. He's yeah. got to be consistent. Yeah. He can't, do, he can't miss the last four practices because of some academic thing and then, then still be a leader there. Uh, Curtis yeah. McNeil, uh, number three. We're not going to have time to go over all of them, but I just wanted to you – know, he was a guy that actually missed – Tuesday's practice, unfortunately, but of all the running backs right now, and, you know, there hasn't been as many practices in pads, so it's harder to kind of watch them hitting holes and stuff, but you know, Moody's definitely been super impressive. He's fallen into the Alan Bradford, oh, my God. Yeah. I can't believe that guy just did that kind of category. Sure. It's, it's... I can give you one sentence on all these guys if you want. You can do that quick. All right, we'll do that quick. Okay, so uh, number four, a guy I didn't have in my top – Ten, but I think I, in, in retrospect, I should probably put him in there. Uh, David Osbury, big plays every day. He's been consistent, and Pete Carroll has said that this is the best he's played since he's been at USC. Sorry, he's using that 235 pound frame to uh, to his advantage, I think. And uh, Taylor Mays, you got to have him in there. We have our special little corollary that when we rate the defense, if Taylor Mays is on the field, it has to, it almost has to be a number one <laughs> starting defense. Yeah, no, he's been awesome. I mean, he's just, he's so big, he's so strong, and he, he's a leader. And uh, Will Harris, another guy just making plays, had a huge interception uh, at yesterday's practice. He's up number six. Yeah, no, he, um, another guy who's kind of bought into the to the Taylor Mays kind of work ethic, a guy who stays for extra practice and stuff like that, a tough dude, guy who's really shined once they started hitting. Aaron Corp, I did not have in my top ten because the, the quarterback – you know, the the quarterback battle has been kind of blah. But, you know, he is the – if he's the starting quarterback today if you had to call one. So I, I can see why people would want to put him in there. Yeah, no, that's that's exactly why he was on my list. I think he's done enough to, to earn a spot um, on the list. I think you're more – I think you're really, really wrong for not having many years. Thanks, yeah. <laughs> Damien, well, I, this is about buzz, and Corp just hasn't had the buzz, you know. But uh, Damian Williams, number eight. Yeah, um, most consistent player on the team, probably. The transfer from Arkansas. And number nine, Kevin Thomas. He's really stepping up in this spring, just making a lot of plays. Had that really nice interception against Barkley in the end zone, returned it like 70 yards. Didn't have him on my list, actually. Um, I had a different cornerback. I had T.J. Bryant. But um, I, I think both those guys have been really good. Um, T.J. Bryant really taking control of the, the extra reps he's gotten with Sharice Wright still rehabbing from his neck injury. Yeah, you know, uh, Brian's been there a lot. He's on the first team all the time, and I could definitely see why you'd want to include him in there. And then last, number 10, Matt Barkley. I did include him. I think I had him at number 10 as well, mostly because he does have buzz because he's making the big plays downfield, either bad or good. He's But he's making – I think he's making the most noise of all the quarterbacks. Yeah, he's um, he's like a little bit – he is like – I mean, I'm try, I was trying to think of a clever way to put it, but, you know, he does make the best plays – um, pretty consistently, and I think makes throws that no other quarterback can make on the team. But he also makes just heinous mistakes, like he'll throw a ball into triple coverage without without blinking an eye, and and, and stuff like that. And that's that's not wow. He has he has no. But I fear. agree with him at ten. I agree with him at ten. Yeah, that's he has no no fear. Oh, to be young again, Dan, don't you think? 
<laughs> All right. Well, Dan, thank you very much. Great segment. And we will talk to you next week more as spring football rolls on for the Trojans. Sounds good, Ryan. All right, everyone else. Super quick break. 30 seconds. We'll be back with Gerard Martinez talking recruiting. You are listening to the Peristyle Podcast from Los Angeles, California. Hey, USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. It's time to get back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. As promised, we're going to talk some recruiting this segment. It's spring football, but there's still a lot of recruiting going on. We are joined by uscfootball.com recruiting analyst Gerard Martinez. How are you doing today, Gerard? Doing good. Doing good. After uh, Sunday scrimmage, there was a lot of recruits on campus, so... uh, yeah, there's some things to talk about. Let's uh, let's get into the recruiting aspect of uh, spring football. Yeah, were you surprised that there was a lot of guys out there? And we posted some updates on USAFootball.com, like the the number of guys that showed up, especially on Sunday for the scrimmage. I mean, there was a lot of just general fans there, but man, ton of recruits as well. You know, I think it's not really a surprise because I mean, you look at what a lot of other schools are doing with multiple junior days. You know, a lot of schools, UCLA has had I don't know ten junior days. Uh, now they've only had like you know three or four recruits show up to each of them, um, but a lot of schools are are having multiple junior days. So these types of events, I mean, when you have a full scrimmage practice and uh, you get your guys out there in full pads, and USC's practices are always very exciting, and and you get that impression from every recruit every year we talk to the guys. They go out there and they're impressed by the way USC practices. That's a big recruiting tool for them. So uh, for them to get uh, these kind of big level, uh, big name guys out there like Robert Woods, Christian Thomas. Um, you know, Dylan Baxter, DJ Morgan, some of the guys that are already committed. Um, you want to get them out there and expose them to that. That's, uh, that's a good recruiting tool for USC. Yeah, I saw, I just read your Robert Woods update that we put up on uscfootball.com, and he you know, definitely has a great chance of being ranked the number one player in California when it's all said and done. But it was interesting to hear his comments about how he liked checking out practice, how impressed he was coming away with it all, uh, but also admitting that every time he goes to a school, it's always impressed. You know, he's always impressed. So he needs to like check his emotions a little bit, but he had a good time. And he had the most interesting part I thought was how he was comparing himself to the other receivers. He really followed those guys around to practice, watched what they were doing and said, Oh, here's a strength. Here's a weakness. And how he measured up to those guys. Well, a guy like Robert Woods, he, he's such a playmaker in so many different ways on the field that uh, he really can find a niche in a lot of different ways. I mean, he could end up being a Z, uh, a flanker type. Uh, he could end up being a slot. He's a guy that you can really put at multiple positions, and he's going to find a way to make a play. So, you know, when he's watching the receiver position, you know, I'm sure he's watching a guy like Damian Williams. He's watching Ronald Johnson. Physically, he stacks up with those guys. He stacks up really well with Ronald Johnson. Um, I think he's maybe a little, probably not quite as fast, but probably has more awareness and maybe a little better ball skills than Ronald Johnson. Um, but he's one of those guys that, the way USC's offense is now and the way they're using their receivers, that ability to, to be fast, that ability to hit your marks on your routes 
and be able to maintain speed and get deep and be a deep threat uh, is a big deal. And I think, you know, he definitely fits into that kind of category as a receiver that's a, a guy that, you know, very good underneath and can do a lot of great things um, with his fundamentals, but he's also got the speed to stretch the field, and that's what USC needs. So, I mean, he was watching the receivers. Felt like he would be able to contribute, you know, with USC. I think Sunday uh, was one of those days where the receivers were a little hot and cold. I mean, you saw some great catches, and then you saw some pretty bad drops. And I think he's a guy that feels that, you know, he can come in there and be a consistent guy. And with his speed and his ability to catch the ball, and he's got great hands, uh, he can come in there and kind of uh, find a lot of different ways to probably contribute and make plays for USC. So he was excited, and it, it was definitely, you know, one of those things that, you know, as I said, you know, when you watch a USC football practice, it's like a real game, and uh, that's the impression he got from it. All right, let's, uh, let's get to some questions. We've got a lot of questions uh, coming for this podcast. Not a lot of audio questions, but people sent it a lot of Email question. So this first one's from Kevin. It has to do with the tight ends recruited for the class of 2010. He wanted to know, besides Randy Teller, out of the three of Christian Thomas, Xavier Gimbel, and, and Delvin Jones, who do you think will commit to USC? And he felt that USC needs some more depth at the tight end position. And you could see that down at practice. They had to move a couple guys like Thomas Herring over to tight end and stuff. And he even thought that maybe like you could move Jones to defense or Teller to wide receiver, something like that. Uh, well, Randall Telfer... Uh, from Rancho Cucamonga High School, did commit um, last uh, week, actually. And, um, you know, he's a guy that's uh, kind of a raw player at this point, about 6'4", 220. Um, but more of your prototypical West Coast uh, pro-offensive tight end. I mean, he is he is very good blocker. Um, he is raw as a receiver, but you see a lot of athleticism. And he has good height got a good frame, and I think that's a big deal to be able to get a guy um, that, that you feel can fill out and be able to be balanced, be able to do both things. He can block, and he can be a receiver. Um, and as you said with USC right now, the, the depth at USC right now at, at uh, tight end is not great. I mean, it looked like they had a lot of uh, ex-offensive linemen out there um, playing tight end Sunday scrimmage. Not a lot of actual receivers with, uh, with Anthony McCoy and Blake Hales on the sideline. Um, so, you know, they're going to lose Anthony McCoy next year. They're only going to really have two guys in there with uh, Ellison and Ailes coming back. You know, Reardon, we'll see what happens with him. Um, but they don't have a lot of depth. So, yeah, this is going to be a tight end class where I think, you know, coming into the year we thought, well, you know, they're definitely going to have two guys with the depth of talent in this year's class and the lack of depth that they have on the roster. You know what? They might go after three guys. They might have to go go after more guys. And you look at you know the tight end position, and that's a versatile position as well. Guys can grow in to being other things. Um, you look at a guy like Gerald Washington, who was kind of a defensive end, tight end, went back and forth. Um, there are guys that can grow into multiple positions. So I think it's a year where um, they're going to go after Xavier Grimble. We're going to see what happens with him. Um, obviously, Oklahoma's a big player with him. Bishop Foreman sends a lot of players to Oklahoma. Um, so that's going to be a guy that the, you know there's going to be a, a there's going to be a battle for him. Um, Christian Thomas is going to be a battle, I think, between UCLA. I think Kyle's a little bit of a dark horse with him. He's originally from Oakland, and um, I don't think he's a. I don't think he's unofficially visited there. I'm not. I'm not 100 sure about that. But he did mention them. He has been to UCLA, like UCLA a lot. Feels like he can, you know, get early playing time at UCLA. And he's kind of he's a real dynamic, explosive type player too. So I think that's the three top guys you have, and then you have you know, Delvin Jones out there in South Florida, who's kind of a. I mean, he's another athlete, and this is kind of exactly what I'm talking about. It kind of exemplifies the, the versatility of a player that that can play tight end. He can be a defensive end. Um, he, he's really just a raw specimen at this point. He's 6'6", about 225. Um, he can really 
play him on either side of the ball, haven't really necessarily proven that he's going to be a great receiver at this point. So there's going to be some evaluation that goes on him, uh, but USC's already offered him too. So you know, who is USC going to get committed from that group? Well, that's the $60,000 question. I, I don't know who they're going to get committed, but I think they have a good shot at all those guys. And I wouldn't be uh, terribly surprised if, if they get a chance to get uh, a majority of them that they don't go after and try to take a majority of them. All right, staying on the offensive side of the ball. This is uh, usually we got some interesting questions about this position, Gerard, and it's just because of the way they're used, and I don't know if a lot of kids want to play the fullback position, but Michael and Huntington Beach wanted to know, with uh, will USC be looking to fill that void at fullback in the coming years with more offers other than the one sent out to Malcolm Jones? Yes, um, definitely in the coming years. I mean, I think what USC has done, and we talked about this uh Previously, I think last year when uh, USC was uh, recruiting uh, Simeone Vaquite. Um Now, Simi is a is a guy that's your your little more prototypical eye fullback formation type, you know, fullback. A guy who's uh, going to be a real good lead blocker, hard nose, physical, aggressive. Uh, he can run the ball, but really his ability to just come up and just pancake linebackers and put his you know his hat right in somebody's chest. That's a big draw to a guy like that. And we saw USC kind of split their fullback strategy in terms of recruiting. Their strategy kind of went for them, okay, we're going to look at guys that are like Vahite, guys who can block, guys who are hard-nosed, guys that, uh, you know, they're, they're not finesse guys. They want to come in and they want to play football, but they're going to be blue-collared, and maybe they're not going to be rated real high. Because if you have a guy like that and he's not running, you know, 4-5 and he's not spectacular with his rushing yards, Obviously, he's not going to get a high ranking. Fullbacks, in general, don't get high rankings. So you're going to be looking at a guy who's probably more or less a second-tier type linebacker. And then you're going to be also, at the same time, looking at for a guy who's more like Stanley Avili or DJ Shoemate, a guy who's got that ability to be a running back, a receiver, who's a little more finesse, who's that type of mismatch type guy you try to get in space against a linebacker. Um, so it's kind of split. It has been a fork in the road, I think, a little bit. USC's realized they cannot... Just recruit guys uh, that are, you know, that are coming in that are 220 that are big running backs. Because a, first of all, like you said, ego-wise, those guys think they're running backs and they want the ball, and that's, you know, not necessarily what the fullback position is always going to have. You're not going to have a lot of consistency getting the ball. Um, and b, they may not have the weight and not have the physical prowess to come in and be lead blockers. So they kind of have to split it up a little bit and recruit kind of the fullback position, two different guys for that position. So. It's definitely going to continue to manifest, and they're going to continue to go after guys that are probably doing both. Um, and, you know, Malcolm Jones, I think that's an example of a guy who's more like a Havili, more like a DJ Shoemate, that kind of athlete, a really good running back who can kind of come in and put on weight and be able to play fullback. But I wouldn't be surprised if they go down the line and they offer guys who are bigger, who have more weight, who are maybe, you know, it's, a, it's an off-the-wall type linebacker uh, prospect that uh, people go, oh, why don't they recruit him? Well, he might end up being a guy who be your, he's your fullback who comes in and ends up being the, the blocking type guy. You don't want to necessarily restrict yourself personnel-wise. Okay, we're running the ball because we have this guy in there. You still want balance. You still want an athlete who can do both things. But I think USC's realized um, that blocking at that position, going in a two-back formation, especially out of high formation, got to have a guy who can come up into the hole and knock somebody out. And that's uh, and that's that's kind of a big deal. And I think we're going to see how Vaikite plays um, this, you know, next couple next couple of years here. You know, as a true freshman, we'll see what he does. But definitely as a sophomore, how he adapts and how a guy like that, who's not necessarily the finesse guy, 
how well he plays and how well he's been able to be a receiver and do the other things. If, if you can get a guy like that and you can start to teach him to do those things, to be the F, you know, the F slot guy, the guy that goes in the formation, ends up being a slot receiver, does that stuff, then, you know, you might see USC kind of go away from recruiting big running backs to be fullbacks and go more towards, hey, you know what, we can teach these linebackers uh, to catch the ball and to do what we need to do, let's make sure we got a guy who's physical first and then look at those other things down the road. So it's definitely become a little bit different. It's a different strategy. Um, but the fullback position is still well and alive at USC, and they're going to continue to use it in that offense. All right, Gerard, one last thing. I know I would let you go here because you got to get going. But um, we brought this up with Coach Hyde in the first segment, and there was an article in Yahoo Sports talking about how Pete Carroll probably changing his strategy a little bit where he doesn't want to – make some of those early commitments public because then all the people kind of come after him. You've got to put a target on these kids and they come after They want to get those guys that USC is coveting. So I just want to get your comments on, do you think that's really what's happening? Is Pete Carroll kind of keeping things silent? And do you think there's more than the current three commits out there right now? Um, there's always silent commitments. Um, there was even silent commitments last year. Silent commitments don't mean much either. The thing is, it's whether the coaching staff expects to get a kid or not. That's what can really screw up your recruiting strategy. If you're recruiting, and you, whether it's a public commitment or a silent commitment, because I tell you, some of the silent commitments that USC has, has had in the past years were stronger than some of the public commitments that they had last year. So it's, it's, it's really the point of, does the coaching staff, are they recruiting around this kid expecting him to be here? Um, and, you know, if he commits silently, and they trust, okay, this kid's coming to USC. Now we don't need another position or no, another player at this position. And then he decommits, or then he ends up changing his mind silently. Um, that still screws things up. So I think really right now, the, in terms of strategy, I think what USC is doing is they're taking it slow, and they're making sure kids, publicly or not publicly, understand what it means to be committed. Really sitting them down and talking to them, saying, listen, if you really want to come to USC – then, you know, there's, there, there may be some guidelines here. You may not be able to take all the visits you want to take. Um, you know, if you're done with the recruiting process, then tell these other coaches that you don't want to talk to them. Now, I don't know if that's, if that's been said specifically. I'm not, I'm not trying to put words in anybody's mouth. I'm just saying I think the vibe is that they have to instruct and, and for themselves, the coaching staff, get a feel for whether these kids are really serious about shutting down the recruiting process and sitting down. You know, a lot of people have, asked me about uh, Dakota Smith, Dak Smith, who uh, received a written offer a while back. We talked to him um, just uh, after it was USC's junior day, and uh, he had a verbal scholarship offer from Pete Carroll, and Pete Carroll sat down with him, and they talked about it, and he told us, you know, he was ready to commit. He's a commitment. He told Pete that he was ready to come down, um, but since getting his verbal offer, I don't know that he's actually sat down with the coaching staff and talked about committing. You know, it's one thing to tell us, oh, yeah, well, you know, I'm on a commitment, and I want to go to USC, but it's another one to sit down and talk with the coaching staff and go over the devil, you know, the details that are that are there and and the fine print kind of stuff. Hey, listen, this is what we expect from you, and you know, you're committed to us. We're also committed to you, and kind of go back and forth and kind of have an understanding of how the process will play out. Um, so I think that's more important to them at this point. Um, you know, commitments, whether they're public or, or non-public, I think in this day and age, colleges are going to t- continue to recruit kids. And they figure and they have a good feeling that there's any kind of wavering there or if there's even a possibility of getting a visit, if, if that coach really wants to recruit that kid and they think they got a chance, any kind of chance, 
they're going to continue to recruit that kid. It doesn't matter if he's gone on TV and said, hey, I'm going to USC, I'm going to Oklahoma. It doesn't matter. And it works vice versa with USC, too. There's kids that are committed to other schools that all of a sudden they start entertaining uh, you know, attention from USC, regardless of whether it's public or, or on the low, um, USC is going to continue to recruit those kids. And that's kind of how it goes. So I think it's more or less um, an understanding of, of, of what what it means to be committed and how the process plays out after you've been committed. So the definition of that, I think, for USC is maybe changed um, silently or publicly. I don't know if that really has a lot to do with it. Well, Gerard, thank you very much for uh, sharing those insights. Always good stuff on the recruiting front, and hopefully we'll talk to you again probably next week on the podcast. Awesome. Hey, you guys have a happy Easter, and I'll talk to you next week. All right, everyone else, thanks very much. Thanks to you guys. Thanks to our guests, Dan Weike, Harvey Hyde, Gerard Martinez. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Peristyle.